believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. why they inherited such a great nation in its foundational principles that have been removed. So there's a reality of a society. There's a reality of adjutants and things that are there to test us. And it, there's the need to, to learn war, to know war, and be tested if we're willing to stand up for what's right and fight the good fight, which really brings us to this, this key concept in this text that we read is, we're either going to contend for the faith and what's right, or we're going to compromise the faith. And settle for what's wrong. And this is the same in every generation. We're either going to contend for what's right. And our life is going to be aligned to do what's right. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our perspectives are going to be moving toward to do what's right. And pleasing the sight of the Lord. Or we're going to capitulate and surrender things. When our son Luke went to college at Orange County OCC Junior College. He had all kinds of conflicts with professors, fellow students, exchange students, hostile, very hostile emails that I saw in blogs from um, students, foreign students, attacking him for his faith and stuff, because he showed me, so I know I'm an eyewitness. But Luke had to determine when he went to college, kind of like John MacArthur when he said that you, once you surrender the first hill, all the other ones fall, so the first hill is the hill to die on, if you remember when John MacArthur said that last year. Luke has that same mindset that, why would I compromise that? So he had these strong convictions at OCC. Well, then when he went to Grand Canyon University in Arizona, you know, he had, it's a Christian college, and so he's got the openly gay guy in his dorm. He's got the people that go drinking every night and on Saturday nights, and they go to Hillsong or whatever church on Sunday morning. And they're, they're oh, yeah, praise Jesus. I'm Southern Baptist, but, yeah, she should get an abortion, whatever. And, so all these compromising things that the next generation has in their thought process, churchy kids, man, Luke was engaging of them. His communist professor, and yes, he had a communist professor at GCU, his classmates, and his convictions, he refused to capitulate. And people are like, you're so legalistic. He's like, well, what's legalistic about not going out and getting drunk before I go to church the next day? Please explain to me what that means how you're coming up with legalistic. You're just harsh because, you, you know, you don't think uh, this is this thing. It's, it's, it's a human being. This is never going to be right. It's never going to be, the, the, it's not going to be God's thing. Like Luke, Luke argued stronger pro-life positions with me than me. And, I, and you know, Luke's the smartest guy in the room. And I, I could not, he gives the strongest argument for the validity of every single life ever conceived. And no one's right to take it. It is incredible how smart he is. And remember, his three grandparents from Jennifer's side, they're all geniuses, like literally geniuses. Jennifer's uncle, dad, and aunt. And Luke has it. 
but he's a genius for Jesus. And, you, and just even now, like the stuff he sends me. See, he didn't surrender then. He doesn't surrender now. Because you're contending for the faith. He used to write these devotionals that were polemics, if you will, for what his generation was doing as they're going to church and going to Christian college and sleeping around and doing all these things. And he'd write these things. And even, I mean, he even sent me one. He even sent me one today. Like he sent me one today. Like this little polemic about something. And what you learn is, if you purpose in your heart like Daniel in Babylon, chapter 1, in the land of captivity, being stripped of your identity, your ethnicity, everything, your language, your God, but you purpose in your heart not to defy yourself, if you get Daniel chapter 1 right, you'll get the whole book right. And you'll be one of the greatest prophets of all time. And God will show you things to come for all eternity. If you recognize as a Jew, you don't eat those foods according to the dietary law under your covenant. See, it is the first hill, isn't it? It's the first hill. It's the first hill. If you hold the convictions on the first hill, you'll hold the conviction on all the hills. Now, I'm not talking so much about social things, what we've been through with the pandemic. I'm talking about biblical things, the word of God, the gospel. Is God's word God's word? Holy men of God spoke. Has God moved them? Or is God's word men, earthly men and women speaking about God? Because that's what the progressive liberals think. They think it's just people talking about God so they can pick and choose. But we believe it's God's word. God inspired. God breathed. It's not men talking about God, how they think God is, like philosophers in religious writings. It's God spoke in various times, in various ways, in times past through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things. That's, that's conviction and that's contending. So we realize for us in the latter parts of our life and the younger people here on the front part of your life, we understand when Jude says in chapter, verse three of the book of Jude, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered. Contend earnestly for the faith. Contend means to engage. It means to contend in the marketplace of thought for truth. Peter would write to us in 1 Peter 3.16 to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be prepared to give anyone a reason for the hope that's in us in meekness and sincerity in fear and reverence. To be ready. We're told that Paul the Apostle reasoned with his culture his generation, the Jews and the Gentiles, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He made no apologies from the scriptures. He came from the authority of the scriptures. So there on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, he can talk about their God, the unknown God. He could get together with the philosophers and he can say, I declare him to you now, this God. And even your own prophets, he can quote their prophets and say, this is what they say, but I'm telling you, God has appointed a day when he will judge all men through the one he's appointed the man, Christ Jesus, who he raised from the grave. And in that statement, like any of our kids at a college campus speaking up for Jesus, and by the way, guys, you younger kids, if you're ever on a college campus, or older people, and you get to speak up for Jesus, it is one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do in your life. It's the best feeling when you stand up. My wife went to college at UCSD before she knew me, and there was a Christian that would stand up and, and challenge the falsehoods of the professor when he was talking against the Bible and the things of the Bible. He challenged that professor publicly, and it inspired my wife. 
Where does that courage come from? From people who stand on the first hill and refuse to capitulate and compromise, who are willing to contend for the faith and sanctify the Lord God and give a reason for the hope that's in them. That's where it comes from. So you have to decide when you step into eternity, what's the, what's the, the playbook going to say? What's the video going to say, the, the replay? Did we sanctify the Lord God? Did we contend for the faith? Did, when we were tested, did we know war? Because Paul said at the end of his life, listen, very important, I have fought the good fight. He didn't say I'm continuing to fight the good fight. I will fight a good fight. It's past tense. When you know it's over, like terminal or you're fading or you just know, maybe you fade slowly when you're very old or maybe you've got something terminal or you're going back in for a surgery and you don't know how it's going to go and you don't come out of that surgery. We want the legacy to be said that we have fought the good fight. You don't want to be on your deathbed thinking like, I didn't really fight the good fight. I kind of walked away from it. I was pretty weak. I was pretty soft, actually. I was like, ah, oh, I just kind of... I once heard someone say, just write what they want you to say and just do what they want you to do and then just go on from it. And in principle, that might look good. Like, just say what they want to hear, right? Just say what they want to hear. But the problem is, that's a little compromise. And that little compromise, because you're compromising what your convictions are, unlike our son Luke, it gets easier to compromise those convictions each step of the way in the journey of life. So you let that little thing go, then, then you let this thing go. So if you, if you eat the defiled food, then it's easier to just look for the, the, go for the pagan woman in the court of Babylon. And you're no prophet, and you're certainly not going to be able to outlast the lions in, in the den on an overnight sleepover. You see, it all adds up. It all goes. So we want to be able to say, I fought the good fight. Our, our fight's a spiritual fight. There's no way around it. We want to fight on our knees in prayer, but we need to contend for the truth, and we need to speak up when the truth needs to be spoken. We're never going to live in a world where we're not surrounded by Amorites, Canaanites, Jebusites, and Kenzanites, and Sidonianites. They're at work, they're at home, they're in our family, they're above us, they're beside us, they're below us, they're all around us. We can't just go be a monk somewhere and think it, we can escape that. Even during the Reformation time, there's nowhere to hide when their state church is trying to tell you what to do and what you can believe and what you can't believe and ripping your tongue out and burning it at the stake. There's just nowhere to hide. So we want a purpose in our heart, whether we're 60 or 16, like Daniel, not to defile ourselves with the things that are contrary to the kingdom of God and the work of God in our life. And if we have, the sooner we get rid of it, the better. Because those things become strongholds. We really need to know when we get to the end of the journey that we can truly look anyone in the eyes and say, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we let the Savior set us free in all the things that came along our way in our journey. So it really is about contending for the faith or compromising the faith. And I don't need to tell you all the people, have, all the organizations that have compromised the faith and where are they now. You, you, you become impotent. You lose power. You, you surrender. When you surrender holiness and you surrender truth, you surrender the high ground, you lose everything. You're just impotent. The building's just a, a building. It's not the church anymore. It's not really a house of worship. So we're all being tested. 
to hold fast to the convictions of truth and to purpose in our heart, not to defile ourselves, to, to sanctify the Lord God in our heart and be willing to contend for the faith when it needs to be contended. And when you're contending for the faith, you hold the high moral ground for all the universe. That's the subtle difference, and it's not that subtle sometimes between politics. Because when you contend for politics, you may not be contending for the faith. So you may not hold the high ground. Politics is temporal kingdoms. The word of God's eternal kingdoms. And there's times for sure where they engage each other. But if you're going down, go down for the cross. Don't go down for politics. Because there'll just be another politician after you're gone. And there's no politician waiting for you. They never said of any president, he's the good shepherd. Or he's the resurrection of the life, right? So that's just good to know. We all have opinions, and most of them don't even matter. That's why it says that God be true and every man a liar. The word of God is the final authority. And that's what we're contending for. Now, the last thing we see tonight is where it says of, so we have to decide, you know, it was all a test, and then it's contending or compromising. And they compromise, you know, they, they let their daughters marry these men, they let their men marry these daughters, and the, the godly didn't elevate the ungodly, the ungodly brought them down. And we all understand, especially the older people, how that works in life, because that's just science, it's proven. But the last thing we see here tonight is Othniel. So in this environment, Othniel, the son-in-law of, Josh, of uh, Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that came back with a positive report. They're the only two that over the age of 20 that came out of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, go into the promised land. They're the only two. They're great warriors, great leaders. They're amazing. Caleb's an amazing man. His daughter married Othniel, who was the cousin. So here's Othniel, and he marries Caleb's daughter. We talked about this Tuesday. It's like, it's almost like, it's like if Caleb was a king, then this would be the prince and the princess. They're royalty. And we're not just saying that because like attracts like. And she's the daughter of this amazing man of God, Caleb. And he's the nephew over here. And he marries her. And what happens? They're like-minded. And what do they do? They go on to become the first great leaders of Israel in a post-Joshua world. Let me say that again. They go on to become the first great leaders, spiritually, morally, politically, in a post-Joshua world in the promised land. When everyone did what was right in their own eyes, when there arose a generation that didn't know about the Lord, it was Othniel that made himself available, just like his father-in-law did. It was Othniel who was fearless, just like his father-in-law, and probably like his wife. And together, these two were yoked together in marriage, and when the nation and when God's people needed godly spiritual leadership, these two, Othniel and his wife, made themselves available and they changed their world while being surrounded by Canaanites, Amorites, Jebusites, and Sidonites. While people are sacrificing children to false gods, while they're in unbridled lust beyond description, they were not immune from that culture. They rose up in that culture and they shone in that culture. And they led the way for their generation. They received a legacy of faith like a relay race, and they grabbed that baton, and they ran it in their life. When everyone else was dumbing down and going soft, they rose up, and they contended, and they fought the good fight, and they were willing to risk their lives to do it. In chapter 5 in Deborah's song, she's going to say, those men who risked their life in a positive way, and Othniel 
We saw it with Ehud as well and Shamshagar, the first three judges. They all risked their life. We need to live for something that's worth dying for. We need to live for something that's worth dying for. And the kingdom of God and the gospel message is worth dying for. But as been said so many times, it would seem easier to die for Christ than to live for Christ sometimes. And Othniel and his wife rose up and he led and God put his spirit upon him. And in the Old Testament, we don't really have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have the spirit coming upon people. Once Jesus rose from the grave and the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, the Bible makes a distinction that the Holy Spirit comes in people. We're taught clearly that when we give our life to Christ and we're born again, Jesus said you must be born again in Nicodemus, we're born of the flesh with our mother, but then when we give our life to Christ, we're born of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God literally comes in us. That's how we're told we're the temple of God. Even as the Spirit of God dwelt in the temple back in the day, we are the temple and God's Spirit comes in us. So before we give our life to Christ, we're told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit is with us. In the Greek, that's para. So he's around us. There's nothing God doesn't know. But the Holy Spirit's convicting us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to the world and would convict the world, non-believers, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, all in relation to Christ. So when the gospel's being preached and someone's not saved or they're hearing the truth, there's a conviction it's a supernatural work. And the word of God's piercing bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And it's a supernatural work and it's happening. And like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And Paul would say to the Philippian jailer there in the book of Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And he responded, receive Christ. So by the time John writes his gospel, the gospel of John, he says, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not born of flesh and blood or born of men, but born of God born of the Spirit. So the Spirit is in the world, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment outside the body. But when we receive Christ, we're born again, and we pass from death to life, from Adam to Christ, the second Adam. We're born again, and the light's on. But then we're also told, so now he's in us, and New Testament doctrine makes very clear that's what happens. So if you're born again tonight, Jesus Christ is in each of us. By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is there to lead and guide us. In fact, Jesus said he would lead and guide us in all things. And he leads us. He's the anointing that leads us. But then we're told in the book of Acts that Jesus said that the Spirit would come upon them, the Acts, the apostles in the book of Acts. And that's called the Epi. Well, that seems, that's definitely something more than just being in. That's like an overflowing and upon. Also, we're told in the New Testament that we have the mind of the Spirit. We talk about the natural mind, the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. So there's people that are born again that are carnal. That's a carnal man. There's the natural man, people that aren't born again at all, women that are not born again. And then there's a spiritual woman who's born again, or the spiritual man who's born again. So as soon as we're born again in spirit, then God illuminates things for us. That's why someone can look at the Bible, and it's like trying to read Japanese, if you don't read Japanese. It's like, it's a spiritual book. Now, it's truth, but it's a spiritual book. And when you're born again in the Spirit, then suddenly all of a sudden it just comes alive. It, it, it's, it's, it's the words of eternity coming alive to one who's been born again for eternity. And it's living and powerful, and it, it, it transforms us. 
It thoroughly equips us for every good work to guide us, direct us, reprove us, and correct us. That's what happens. So when we think about Othniel, in his day, the Spirit came upon him. He became a supernatural man. He did amazing things. The Spirit came upon him. He judged Israel, so he provided great leadership, spiritual leadership, in the time it was needed. He went out to war. He knew war. He wasn't afraid of war. I mean, when, you, when your father-in-law is Caleb, you might know something about war. Caleb was a bad dude. His father-in-law, like, how do you even live up to your father-in-law? But he knew war now. See, Caleb fought his battles. He's in eternity with Joshua. But it's time for Othniel to fight his battles because someone has to lead a generation where people do what's right in their own eyes and they know not the Lord. Someone has to rise up and contend. In his case, it was military. In our case, it's spiritual because we're the church, not Israel in the Old Testament. But the same principles there, to be women of courage, men of courage, to rise up, to provide clear direction you know, when Luke was at college, for all the persecution he ever got, I can't tell you how many people sought him out for direction and counsel in life because of the integrity that he had. Students came to him all the time. So he can, people still call him all the time. People came to him all the time. Because we're told not to walk in the path of the scornful, but we're to sit with those who are with wisdom. To surround ourselves with godly people and godly influences and when, you, when you're contending, you have the character, you have the conviction, and people know they can trust it. We want people, we've talked about the book of Judges for all of us in this room tonight. We want to be like Deborah and Othniel, and Othniel's wife. We want to be the people that the people look to as leaders in a time when everyone does what's right in their own eyes and a generation arose that knows not the Lord, and there's such confusion and chaos. We want to be these kind of people. We want to be compassionate on the, the, the neighbors and the agitations. But we want to be people of conviction and character that we know the difference that our daughters don't marry their sons and their, our sons don't marry their daughters. Because even the New Testament says to be unequally yoked is a bad thing to do. And I'm not talking about marriage so much as but just ideologies, philosophies, decision-making, and how we see things. Because we see things according to the kingdom. So he went out to war. He wasn't afraid to fight the good fight. When Caleb... Excuse me, when Othniel ended his life, like his father-in-law Caleb, it could be said, he fought the good fight. In an entire generation of all this stuff going on, in this first 40 years, who is the only person listed that fought the good fight? It is Othniel, the first great judge in a dark time. So if we've entered a dark time, would to God that we'd be the first great judge, Deborah or Othniel or whoever we are. And it says, his hand prevailed. He brought victory. Their enemy is a Mesopotamian king. Ours is the kingdom of darkness. So we fight our battles on our knees. We fight our battles in prayer. We love people. We serve people. We honor Jesus. Respect the king. Honor the king. All these things. We do the best we can. But in the end, we bow the knee to Jesus. And we're going to always be under his authority, which is the final authority for the Great Commission, the whole counsel of God. We hold the keys to the kingdom. And we always will. We always will because we're the church and it's entrusted to us. So I look at this life of, of Othniel and his legacy as an extension of what really came from the book of Joshua and even the books of Moses before that. But the thing that really distinguishes him more so from Joshua and even Caleb, his father-in-law, is it says the Spirit of God came upon him. And that brings us closer to us in the New Testament. That Jesus said that we seek, knock, and ask, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do so in Luke 11? So to me, that's really the key it's not about being worked up about things I have no control over. It's about 
seeking, knocking, and asking to be more of a spirit-filled man with the Spirit upon me, that I'm walking in the full power and the mind of the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit with love, self-control, and these things, and bringing honor to Christ for such a time as this. And that when I come to the body of Christ, those gifts of the Spirit are working through me. When I shine at work, that Spirit's upon me, that people see it. And when I'm thinking about decisions, I'm thinking with the mind of Christ. And if we belong to Jesus, this closing thought, we belong to Jesus, we have the mind of Christ, we have the fruit of the Spirit, we have the gifts of the Spirit, we have the baptism of the Spirit. And whatever denominations distinguish that, know this, E, all the above. We want all the above. We want all the above. So don't worry about dividing lines of what distinguishes one thing from another. Just say all of it as much as you want to give. And let God put his spirit upon us to be leaders, truly leaders who contend and fight the good fight in love, humility, and with spiritual weapons. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.